Good morning. How's everybody doing? Good. Good morning. Good morning. I am, my name is Chase, and I'm one of the pastors here at Rolling Hills, and it's a privilege to be here today with you. I like to consider myself the traveling pastor because I pretty much bounce around from campus to campus, and I have the privilege of seeing all of our campuses work, and what God has done at Belmont Heights in the past year is truly incredible. I just look forward with great expectation for what God's going to continue to do in and through uh, the work that this campus does in this community, the beacon of light that this campus is in this community. So um, today I'm actually closing out a series called Love Everyone Always. I don't know if you've been here for the past few weeks, but I absolutely love this concept of loving everyone always. Do you love this concept of loving everyone always? I would say yes, everybody in the room loves this concept. We want to be people that love everyone always, but the reality is it's really difficult. It's really difficult to love everyone always, especially when people don't think the same way that we do, especially when they don't have the same ideas as we, we do. We, we tend to think, okay, just don't rock my boat and I'll love you always. Okay, you stay in your boat because whenever you step in my boat, you tend to rock it a little bit. So you need to get out of my boat before we have issues. Like that's kind of what, what this idea, loving everyone always is really difficult. And I was thinking about scenarios that, that may be difficult to love everyone always in. Like Nashville traffic. Like it's hard to love everyone always in Nashville traffic. And so it may look something like this. Um, it's getting about like that, right? And especially over the past 10 years. All right. But let's say you're in traffic and you're like, okay, it's okay if one person cuts me off. But if the second person cuts me off, I want to lose my mind. Like anybody? Amen. Okay. And you may have looked like this person before. Or, or you're like, ah, and you're, we're like pretending like they can actually hear us in the car in front of us. We're yelling to the top of our lungs and they actually can't hear us. But you may have had this happen to you before. This person is yelling and you're like, what did I do? I don't know what I did. And instead of them throwing the fist, they're telling you that you're number one. Right? You're number one. And you're like, oh, yeah, great. Uh, but the, the, the hardest part is whenever you're actually... Um, following somebody and you're so frustrated and they actually turn in the same parking lot as you're turning into, that's kind of awkward. And it just happens to be the church parking lot. That's really awkward, right? Don't raise your hands if you've ever done that before, okay? Uh, maybe it's, it's hard to love everyone always, maybe when you're sitting in traffic, but what about this next line that you have to stand in? It, it's the DMV, right? Uh, there's the happiest people on earth are at the DMV, correct? <sighs> It's really hard whenever you're standing in line with a bunch of frustrated people that are waiting and waiting and waiting three days later. It's really tough to love everyone always when it comes to our sports teams. What about this one? There's like tension in the air. I can feel it. Whether you're a fan of one of those, it's like, ah, this, this is, you know, especially if you live in the same household, right? It's really difficult. It's really difficult to love everyone always, especially when it comes to these two images. That is divisive. 
especially in the, the context of the culture that we live in right now. You throw an image like that up and some people in the room fall on this side, some people fall on that side, and, and there comes a point where you kind of butt heads and, and this is really hard to love everyone always. You see, it's much easier to love someone sometimes. It's a lot easier to love someone sometimes and we can go on and on and on. And this idea of loving everyone always that Jesus brought to this earth is not based on a political view. It's not based on religious duty. It's not based on life circumstances or aggravations. It's not even based on you thinking that you're chosen by God. It goes much deeper. You see, a couple weeks ago, Pastor Nick talked to us about the Good Samaritan story. If you can remember, it's a story written by an author a guy named Luke, who's actually a real person, who wrote down the journey of Jesus. He was a physician, so he was very detailed in how he approached what he was writing down. So he wrote down these detailed stories of Jesus. And one time, there's a Pharisee, a teacher of the law, that came to, an Old Testament law, came to Jesus and said, Hey, um, what are, what's the greatest commandment? What's the greatest? Okay, not only that, you see, we have these 10 commandments, and then there's like 600, 600 more commandments that go along with it. So there's 613 commandments. Which one of these commandments are the greatest? And Jesus said, well, what's written? And he responds, and he says this, Love the Lord your God, we all know it, with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus is like, man, that's a correct ding, ding, ding. You win a prize. But who is your neighbor? You see, Jesus was trying to get to the heart of the issue. Who is your neighbor? Because for a Jewish person, especially a Pharisee, they thought their neighbor was, was their neighbor, like the, their community. It wasn't somebody that looked different or acted different than them. It was people. It was Jewish people. Those were their neighbors. They didn't even think outside of that. And Jesus was trying to redefine who the neighbor was. So he told a story. If you remember, he told the story of the Good Samaritan. Uh, a, a guy was robbed one day. He was beaten up, cast to the side of the road. Remember? And then here comes a Levite. He's telling this story in front of Jewish people. Here comes a Levite. And they're like, he's come to save the day. He passes by him on the other side. Ignored the guy. Here comes a priest. They're like, come to save the day. He ignored him again. And then he said, then a Samaritan. <gasps> thinking, what is the crowd thinking? A primary Jewish audience that's hearing the word Samaritan in context of the same story. And they're thinking, this guy's going to go beat him up some more. And the Samaritan walks up to the guy and he mends his wounds. And he takes care of him, puts him on his donkey and takes him to another place to put him up in a hotel room. He takes care of this guy. So here's what Jesus was doing. He's saying the Samaritan was doing the right thing. And all you, all you, I imagine all you can hear in the audience is, Are you kidding me? A Samaritan. You see, a Samaritan was considered a half-breed. They were Jewish people who married, married a Gentile. And they had a baby. And they called those babies Samaritans. They, they, they were worse than Gentiles, actually, because they were half-breeds. And they're like, are you kidding me? And Jesus was redefining who neighbor was. And that's going to lead us into our story today. See, the Samaritan was the one who did the right thing. So here's what the, the point that I want to make. It's in your notes. The love that Jesus described 
is meant to extend beyond ourselves in our comfort. Now, why is this story so important leading into where we're going today? You're going to find out because at the end of Jesus' life, his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus says this statement that they were, the disciples were to carry with them forever. So with that, will you pray, for me, pray with me and pray for me as we go throughout this, this time together? Father, we love you. God, my prayer is that we would forever be changed by your words. Your words do not return void. God, your words are living and active. And they can change us from the inside to our outside. Father, help us to focus today on what you would have us to do. In Jesus' name. Amen. All right. So if you have your copy of scriptures, you can turn to Matthew chapter 28, verse 16. If not, it's going to be on the screen. It's also on your mobile device. All right. So Jesus is at the end. He's about ready to ascend. He's come back to his disciples after the resurrection. And then he gives the kind of the most famous passage um, that we know called the Great Commission. See, this is different than the great command. The great command was love God, love people. And then he had the great commission, which activated the great command. And so this is what he says in verse 16. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. Verse 17. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. I imagine you, you may have it memorized. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. And surely I'm with you always to the end of the age. When Jesus began his statement given the Great Commission, he, gives, he begins with this concept of go. Now, the Great Commission doesn't start with a destination, understand. It starts with this concept of go. So he's in the room with his disciples and he says, I want you to go. You, that word go, if you break it down, it literally means as you go. So Jesus is saying, whenever you walk out that door right there, that's you going. That's as you're going. So whenever you're going to your neighborhood, whenever you're going to your school, whenever you're going to your work, or wherever it may be, you are going that's in a lot of times, I don't know about you, whenever you think the word go, you think a destination first. You think, okay, if I could go to Brazil, if I could go to Moldova or Africa, then that would be me fulfilling what this great commission is. But Jesus is saying, no, whenever you, in order to fill the great commission, as you go, and what are you doing as you go? You're making disciples. Well, what does that mean? Making disciples is sharing the love of Christ to those who give, afford them the opportunity to say yes to Jesus and transform their lives so they can live for Jesus. That's making disciples. Now to who? Now, remember the context of who he's talking to, a primary Jewish audience, even his disciples. Who? All nations. And so Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John record this idea of going to the nations. Now that word nations means peoples. 
It literally means different ethnic groups. So, so we are to go to the nations. Now think about this overview of what the Jews are thinking at this, this moment in time. You see, Gentiles and Jews alike would have been included in this call. The gospel would be for the world, not only the lost sheep of Israel. And we're thinking, of course, that means all nations, all ethnic groups, all peoples. Not to a group of Jewish people. They had a hard time with this concept, correct? Because if you look at the Old Testament, you look at the Old Covenant, God actually had a chosen group of people. I don't know if you knew that or not, but God actually chose a group of people called the Israelites. He drew a circle around them and said, you are not to mingle, interact with other nations. You are to be separate because you are to be a holy, holy nation. So he separated them because he had a plan. He separated and said, okay, and then now you're separated and to keep you holy, you're going to keep these commands. They're called the Ten Commandments. And the problem is they couldn't keep these Ten Commandments. And so they constantly disobeyed God and disobeyed God. So God created a sacrificial system. Do you remember? A sacrificial system to cover their sins and they needed some blood, a blood of an animal. So God had this sacrificial system and every year they would have to come back with an animal, actually a priest on the Day of Atonement. And a priest would have to go to the Holy of Holies, this room. Where this altar was. And they would have to sacrifice this animal. And the blood would be shed for the sins of people. But here's the problem. It was never fully and finally satisfied. Because they they had to repeat. Over and over. Year after year after year. This was the system that God put in place. You see, here's what God was doing in the Old Testament. He was preserving a line that would eventually provide a Messiah to the entire world. That... That will bless other nations just like the promise he gave to Abraham. Are you following me? Eventually, this line will give birth to a man who would come to establish a what? New covenant. A better covenant. One that we live out today. You see, one that didn't draw a circle around the nation. You see, the old covenant was for a particular group of people that required a commandments, that required a sacrificial system to come back to over and over and over again. But a new covenant was the one we have today. We are actually living that today, that salvation came, comes through Jesus and Jesus alone. Not, not of works that we can do, lest no man should boast, but it's simply through faith. For works. You see, God, what once was a circle around the nation, Jesus came and said, No, no, no. This is a new covenant. And I'm going to circle the world. You see, we, friends, we're living in a better covenant. So when Jesus came to the earth, he came to this politically and socially and religiously charged day and age. And understand, Jesus came to a people that was that were carrying the Old Testament law and covenant really closely. Jesus came to a Jewish people who only understood that, that what God had done for them in the past. And their scriptures applied to only them. What they couldn't figure out was Jesus. They couldn't figure this guy out. Especially the experts in the law. Then the Pharisees couldn't understand why Jesus would go and hang out with sinners. 
He couldn't understand why Jesus would hang out with tax collectors who essentially stole money from people, raised the taxes. He, he couldn't figure out, they, they couldn't figure out why Jesus would hang out with women. Why Jesus would hang out with sick people. Why Jesus would hang out with Gentiles. Are you kidding me? And why Jesus would hang out with Samaritans. They were so confused. But, so Jesus spent much of his time teaching people about who God's love was for. We gotta understand, it wasn't just for a group of people, but they are, Jesus is talking to a group of people that, that believed Levit Leviticus 20 verse 26. They truly believed this. You are to be a ho holy to me because I, the Lord, am holy. And I have set you apart from other nations to be my own. I've set you apart from other nations. Can you imagine what these disciples, as Jesus is, they're talking to him? Can you imagine what they're going, what's going through in their mind as they, as they spend more and more time with Jesus? Jesus was doing something a different way. It was removed from the old way. So Jesus gave them a great commission, which included to the nations, and it was a big deal to the disciples. And then, great commission, He's still with his disciples. And then we get to the book of Acts. And Jesus gives them one last command. One last hurrah. And says, okay, here's what I want you to do. Don't forget Acts 1.8. And he says this. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Samaria and to the ends of the earth? We got it. I can imagine the disciples all pumped up. We can't wait for the Holy Spirit to come. And then, then what happened? A, a, few, um, a, a few moments later, or a few days later, the day of Pentecost happened. And the Holy Spirit came, came down on the disciples. And, and Peter was ready. He was ready, man. He stood up and he shared the gospel with all these people. And about 3,000 accepted Christ that day and, and had a relationship with him. They were so excited. They began to share their faith. And they were serving and loving their fellow people. They were fulfilling the Great Commission in Jerusalem and Judea. All was great. And I'm thinking, well, what about the other peoples? What about the other nations one year after the resurrection of Jesus? We still don't see a guy like Peter going to... Other nations, other people groups. They were still fulfilling the Great Commission to the Jews, but year two, year three, year four. And then it's like God and Jesus got together and said, they're actually not going. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to take a guy who hates Christians. We're going to take a guy who's, who's in the business of persecuting Christians and killing Christians. And his name is Saul. And so here's what I want, I want to do. I want to go and, and, and take Saul and transform his life. So what is Saul? Saul, who is Paul, was on the road to Damascus. He has an encounter with God. His life is completely changed, radicalized for the, for the, from the love of Christ. And then what we do, what, what, what do we see? We see Paul going to Samaria immediately to share the gospel of Jesus. And then he starts to, Paul starts to plan out his first missionary journey, which was to Galatia, to the Galatian. I'm like, what, what, what happened to Peter? Why is Peter not going? You know, what happened to the rock to where God was going to build his church? What happened to this guy that was so faithful? So 10 years, 
Ten years after the resurrection of Jesus, we encounter this story in Acts chapter 10 about Peter. So here we go. Peter, actually, he went to the town of Joppa. And Joppa was this, this uh, it's fairly larger town. And he went to this, this lady's house named Tabitha. And Tabitha was gracious enough to kind of host these disciples. And, and, and Peter was very hungry. So he went up on the roof. He's really hungry. He began to pray. And he went, he got in some hunger trance or something because he had a vision. And this vision was this. And here we go. You ready? Verse 11, chapter 10. Peter saw the sky open and something like a large linen sheet being lowered by its four corners to the ground. In the sheet were all kinds of four-footed animals, reptiles, and birds. 13. A voice told him, get up, Peter. Kill these animals and eat them. Peter answered, I can't do it. I can't do that. I've never eaten anything that is impure or unclean. Are you kidding me, God? For years and years, I've been doing the right things. I've eaten the right things. But now you're telling me to go and eat those things? I can't do it. This is a part of our Old Testament law. But there's no way that I'm going to break the Old Testament law, right? And so you're asking me to do this now? And you can find that. The Old Testament law, Leviticus chapter 11, where it talks about the types of food that you eat. And then verse 15. A voice spoke to him a second time. Don't say the things that which God has made clean are impure. Wow. This happened three times and Peter still didn't understand. He was still puzzled by the whole thing. And then all of a sudden they hear a knock at the door. And there were three men at the door that were sent by Cornelius. Cornelius was a Gentile. And so they, they, they sent for, for Peter because they heard about this guy, Peter. He spent time with Jesus. He was walked with Jesus for three years. He saw Jesus after his resurrection. They were like, we want him to come tell us about Jesus and his ministry. So they sent for it. So Peter's at the door thinking, I don't want to go. And God spoke to him and he said, I need you to go with the people immediately. Well, it took him some time. So the next day... <laughs> Next day, he left for Cornelius' house. Here's the problem. Cornelius had spent some time inviting his friends and family over to hear from Peter. And so when Peter gets to the house, it's filled with Gentiles. Now, just think for a moment what Peter is feeling. He feels the tension. He feels the pressure. If he steps in the house, will he get cooties? If he steps in the house, will he get a disease? So he puts one foot in front of the other. Then he steps fully into the house. And there's Cornelius. He's on the ground. He's worshiping Peter. And Peter's like, you're silly, man. Get up, man. And then he looks up. And then he sees all these eyes looking at him. And they're not Jewish eyes. They're Gentile eyes. And they're waiting to hear what Peter has to say. He's going to say something amazing. We can't wait to hear what he has to say about Jesus. And then Peter, he says this. His opening line, kid you not. His opening line, verse 28. You understand how wrong it is for a Jewish man to associate or visit with anyone of another race. Wow. 
No pleasantries. No like, hey, thank you for inviting me over. It's a privilege to speak to you today. I'm excited to talk to you about this God that I know, this Jesus that I know deeply. No, he said, you know how wrong it is for me to be here? And then the very next line is even worse. He said, but God has shown me that I should no longer call anyone impure or unclean. In other words, yesterday you were impure and unclean in my eyes. And then he begins to share the gospel with them. And then we go down to verse 34. Then Peter said, Now I understand that God doesn't play favorites. Rather, whoever respects God and does what is right and acceptable to him in what? Any nation. He has an aha moment. Oh my goodness, now I'm beginning to understand what Jesus was saying to me. In there, verse 44. While Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers, the Jewish believers who came with Peter at the time were astonished. Oh my goodness, the Holy Spirit can fall on a Gentile person as well? you got to be kidding me. He had poured it out, on the, the Holy Spirit, on the Gentiles as well. So get this. Ten years after the resurrection, ten years after the resurrection of Jesus, Peter has finally understood the idea of spreading the gospel to the nations. Loving all nations, the idea of loving everyone always has even uh, come to a point of tension with the disciples. Why? Here's why. Because they had a hard time letting go of the old covenant. They have a hard time of letting go of the old so they can embrace the new that God has provided for all people. You see, I look at those stories. I look at the, what Jesus was doing. You see, this idea of sharing God's love is three things. You can find it in your, your notes if you want to jot these down. The first is sharing God's love takes us beyond our comfort or our traditions and or our traditions. This is really difficult. Can you imagine what the disciples were going through? Meaning the moment that your blood is boiling because of a disagreement and you want to punch somebody in the face, think love. That moment policy takes precedent over people, think love. That moment when someone has wronged you, think love. The moment when prejudice begins to creep in, think love. See, this is not just a normal love. This is not a love that we can muster up. And we, if, if we could only develop enough love within us to love everybody around us, we would be good. This love comes from a greater power. This love is much greater. It comes through the blood and love of Jesus Christ. That when we receive him, we can share that love with other people. I remember hearing a story one time. I think Pastor Nick even uh, led me on to this story. A, a guy named Josh McDowell told a story that he encountered about a, a worship service that was happening um, one, one day on one Sunday. The place was full. It was packed, and there was a middle aisle. I, I grew up where we had a middle aisle, aisle in, in church. I don't know if you did. But it was a middle aisle, and there was two doors in the back, and the preacher had already started, man. He was going, and the doors opened up, and there was a man who walked in. He was started walking towards the middle, and he was looking for a seat. couldn't find a seat, but this guy looked different. He looked the same as everybody else. He kind of acted a little different, kind of funny, dressed differently. And he began to walk down the center aisle. And, and people were like murmuring. 
you could feel the tension in the air, and he kept walking until he got to the front, and he just sat down. And people were like, this is not normal. This is not like traditional. And so there was a man, he was an elder, he stood up in the back, and he began to walk towards the front. And everybody, you know, everybody's thinking at this point, he's going to go to this guy, and he's going to make it happen. He's going to get the guy to leave. So he walks down to the man, and he doesn't say anything. He simply just sits down right beside him. Because whenever he got to them, he didn't see law. He didn't see appearance. He saw love. He, he thought, this guy is made in the image of God. First, is sharing God's love takes us beyond our comfort or tradition. Second, is sharing God's love is risky. Oswald Chambers, it's in your notes too. I have a quote from him. It says this. If what we call love doesn't take us beyond ourselves, it's really not love. If we have the idea that love is characterized as cautious, wise, sensible, shrewd, and never taken to extremes, we have missed the true meaning of love, that love is truly risky. Number three, is sharing God's love is limitless. It extends to other peoples or other nations. It extends, it extends beyond the comfort of our own homes and our own church walls. You see, Jesus' Jesus's love is to be found wherever his followers find themselves. Jesus' love is to be found wherever Jesus' followers find themselves. And his love should even go to the ends of this earth. Beyond Middle Tennessee, beyond Tennessee, or, or even the states, even to other countries. I'm so proud of what we do as a church throughout the world. I'm not sure if you're aware of the scope of what we do throughout the world, but we're working in, in places like Moldova and places like Brazil. Um, let me tell you a little bit about this little country in Moldova that we get to be part of. And whenever you give your tithe, a portion of that goes towards, towards this work in Moldova and Brazil. And, and thank you for your prayers, what we do throughout the world. We truly are impacting people for the kingdom of God in other places, in other nations. And so this little country of Moldova is the poorest country in Europe. You see, it's 40% of Moldovan sex slaves are kids. One in 100 Moldovans have been trafficked to date. And Moldovan victims are found in over 40 different countries. We said that's not acceptable. We've got to get, get in this game. We've got to do something about it. And so what you'll find is as a church, we decided we can't stand back. We currently have teams that go each year to work in orphanages. I think maybe I have a picture of, of some kids in our orphanages. We want our, our kids to know that they, they haven't been forgotten, that God loves them, that God has a purpose for them in life. Jesus came for them. I want to share the gospel with these, with these kiddos that, you know, we have teams that leave throughout the year that we want to go to the vulnerable and, and oftentimes forgotten. We have 20 full-time indigenous staffers there, like psychologists, sociologists, um, that work with, with the kids on the grounds. We know who these kids are. We, we, we visit these kids. We have people on the ground there that are going to check on these kids all the time. We have transitional living homes for girls and boys. Because whenever they turn, whenever a kid turns 16, when they're living in the orphanage, they become street kids at that point in time. They're kicked to, to the road. 
they have no place to go. So what we're doing, we, we've got to take the next step. We need to figure out what to do. And so what we're doing, we're buying up these homes in Moldova and we're making them transitional living homes. That way they have a place to go and be loved and be cared for and taught about the love of Jesus and life skills and get their education. Here's the beauty behind all of this and what we're doing. Is that those kids who were once in the orphanages are now going back to the same orphanages to share the gospel. That matters. That's a big deal. In Brazil, we're partnering with jungle pastors. I may have a picture too. This was my small group. So this is, um, we partner with jungle pastors that are doing ministry in some of the difficult, the most difficult conditions to share the love of Christ throughout the Amazon jungle. Each year we have a jungle pastors conference in February, and I think this year is May. Or June, I forget. But each year we, we have a jungle pastors conference where these men and women are literally coming. Some of them are coming by canoe and it takes them six days to get there. And they're, they're getting education. They're being equipped. But what we find out is they're much more faithful than we are. I mean, they know what it means to love everyone always in the most difficult conditions whenever it's not comfortable, whenever it's truly risky. They are loving people Always, these men and women demonstrate that idea of loving everyone always. I wanted to, today I wanted to share a story with you about one of our, our pastors. And again, what, I'm, what I love about our church is that you may not be able to go on these trips. I hope you are able to go on these trips. But, but you're supporting these guys through your giving and through your prayers. I'm so grateful for that. So let me share with you a story, Pastor Aramar. And uh, Pastor Aramar has an incredible story of, of loving people always, even the most difficult conditions. Let's watch his story. Quando estamos aqui na Ilha da Trindade, vamos plantar dois anos, né? Aqui na comunidade Boa Esperança, é, aqui na Ilha da Trindade nós assim que sempre nós já fomos acostumados né morar nas ilhas para nós é um, uma tranquilidade é ver o rio Amazonas né conhecer a outras pessoas famílias evangelizar também as pessoas que precisam do evangelho que é que precisa ouvir a palavra de Deus mesmo que tenha as dificuldades mas nós estamos aqui Feliz, alegre de estar fazendo o trabalho do Senhor. Sábado com as irmãs pela manhã, na consagração que a gente se reúne, todas as irmãs vêm. Que ri muito, chora muito, porque estamos juntos, passando pela mesma dificuldade, pela mesma situação de cada um. A dificuldade para nós é até um tempo da enchente, né, que sempre alaga e a dificuldade fica grande. Onde também aqui nesse lugar nós, como você já sabe da história, passamos por um, uma prova tão forte. Eu saí para ver uma malhadeira. Olha, meu filho estava na cama dormindo. Eu vim, né? Abracei ele, foi. Voltei. E ele veio me encontrar. E eu abracei ele e disse: Filho, eu vou fazer um mingau bem, bem gostoso para você. Ele. 
Já engatinhava, tinha 11 meses, ia completar 11 meses. Nesses minutos, né, a minha esposa, ela diz assim, cadê o Azaf, né? Já estava o um silêncio dentro de casa. Aí eu deixei a mamada dele, né? E saí correndo nos quartos, entrei nesse quarto, entrei nesse outro, entrei nesse, e o último foi esse. Quando ele caiu na água, né, depois nós é, sabemos que ele tinha caído mesmo, veio um grande desespero, grito de socorro, gritando por socorro, os moradores chegaram, os irmãos da igreja vieram, de outra comunidade, vamos chegando e fomos procurar o Azaf. E o corpo dele foi resgatado a partir das 12h45 da quando nós vinhamos de Tequateara, do sepultamento dele, como eu lhe falei, né, parecia que era um sono, mas avistar esta casa, é, a tristeza nos tomou conta, foi um momento mais triste que nós passamos na nossa vida. Quando eu fiquei, quando eu perdi meu filho, eu orava assim, Senhor, envia alguém para nos ajudar. Porque passamos, quando você perde uma, uma pessoa assim como aconteceu com a gente, é, a gente fica muito, muito abatida. E o Senhor, Ele, ele ouviu a minha oração. Porque sempre, Ele não deixou a gente só e o Senhor preparou vocês para nos ajudar. Vocês não esqueceram da gente, vocês nem conheciam a gente, vocês... A conferência de pastores para mim foi uma, uma bênção porque eles, ao chegar lá, eu cheguei de uma forma assim, de cabisbaixo, sem força, entendeu? Eu não tinha força, até porque eu tinha perdido meu filho, estava fazendo oito meses e eu não, não tinha como reagir. E ao chegar lá, o Senhor foi, foi as ministrações, o Senhor foi ali alimentando, me dando força. O Senhor tratou muito comigo naquele lugar e eu voltei sendo outra pessoa. <risos> Porque eu, quero, eu digo para vocês que nós chegamos ali numa situação cabe baixa. Para mim a conferência foi tudo para gente também. E eu vim com uma visão diferente de evangelizar esse povo mesmo, né? de evangelizar, de é, conquistar para Jesus mesmo esse povo. Enviou vocês para nos ajudar de haver essa intimidade quando nós fomos para a conferência e o meu coração se alegra muito e, e saber que o Senhor não esquece da gente aqui no meio desse, dessa ilha que a gente está Pastor Aramar was at the conference this, this year, and um, he was with his wife again. If I can show the picture of the, all the pastors, 
Um, Pastor Airmar is down at the for the front right there. Um, he's kneeling. He's in the very middle almost. Right behind him is his wife. You'll notice there's something different about her. She's she's pregnant, and um, the baby's name is going to be Samuel. And the baby's due on the day that their son passed away. Wow. One of the things he told us at the conference this year was that um, God told him that his firstborn son, God told him that his son was going to be a missionary and share God's love throughout the world. And he was thinking, God, you didn't do what you promised. God, why, why did this happen to us? And then he said at this conference, he said, God is doing exactly what he said he was going to do because my son truly is sharing our story throughout the world. You heard it today. God is doing amazing things in the Amazon. There are so many stories that I could tell you about, like Pastor Sidney, I think we have his, and his, his wife, Giselle, who literally saved an, a family from an angry mob. Now, I don't know if you've ever encountered an f- angry mob. I haven't. But they literally, in their village, saved a family from an angry mob. Not only did they save the family, but in the process, they brought the community together. Why? Because they demonstrated this radical love that only comes through a relationship with Jesus. This group of pastors, one year we laid out a map and, and, and it showed like an aerial view of the Amazon. And we pointed out their villages and then we, we pointed out unreached people groups, unreached villages. And, and they were like, okay, my village is not too far from there. We're just going to go there. Uh, we're going to go there and there and there. So they have this vision. There's 1.2 million people who live in the Amazon. They have this vision. We're going to reach the Amazon for the love of Christ. And I was thinking, man, we have around that, that many people here in Nashville today. Around 1.2-ish million people. And what if we got that idea, that vision, that we can love everyone always by, as you go, by going out those doors, that whoever we encounter today, tomorrow, and whatever store that we encounter, we can share the love of Christ. What greater message could anybody give than one that brings salvation to those who are lost? Can we get the vision? You see, Christianity is a missionary faith. See, the very nature of God demands this. For God love God is love, and God is not willing that any should perish. You know, our Lord's death on a cross was for the whole world. If we are His children and share His nature, then we would want to tell others the good news to a lost world. Sharing Christ's love always requires action. But here's what I find all the time. I don't know about you, but here's for personally, I fear people. Because here's what the fear of people does. The fear of people keeps people from fulfilling God's promises. The fear of people keeps people from fulfilling God's promises for our lives and for the world. Let me read this quote again. We'll transition here and I'll close this. Oswald Chambers. If what we call love doesn't take us beyond ourselves, it's not really love. If we have the idea that love is characterized as cautious, wise, sensible, shrewd, and never taken to the extremes, we have missed the true meaning How do I know what that kind of love looks like? Look to Jesus. Look to this guy who sacrificed himself on a cross for imperfect people. 
What greater love do we have than one that was demonstrated on a cross? So today, in order to remember what God has done for us through Jesus, we're going to take communion together. And Jesus gathered his disciples together a little over 2,000 years ago in a room right before his death, burial, and resurrection, right before he, he was going to suffer unimaginable things. And he picked up some bread and he said, hey, this is my body that was it's going to be broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And he picked up the glass of wine. He did the same thing. He said, it's my blood going to be shed for you. Do this in remembrance for me. And so we, 2,000 years later, we are still remembering the same thing. It's the, still the same message of hope, the same message of love. It's not for, it's not love, not love someone always or someone sometimes. It's love everyone always. It's a message that only comes to the hope of Jesus. So before we take communion, which is self-serve, and we're going to have people stationed at the four corners of the room and if you're not able to get up, somebody will bring you um, the, the communion. And there are going to be people stationed in these rooms, and it's going to be self-service. You can go and break off a piece and, and, um, and dip it in the, the glass. And that's how we're going to uh, remember, do this in remembrance of Christ today. So let me pray for us, and then you may take communion. Father, we, we are incredibly thankful for you. God, this idea that it's that your gospel and your love is for all nations is truly amazing. God, that you drew a circle around the world and you established a new covenant that you would say, hey, my love is for the entire human race. And God, it's our privilege to be able to share that love with those around us. And God, my prayer today is we even go to the table, we go to the plate today and we take communion that we would remember that your body was broken, your blood was shed. And God, this would move our spirits and move our hearts even more to go out and love everyone always, to, to go to the nations. So God, we praise you today and we worship you by taking this ordinance in Jesus' name. Amen.